I love talking with new believers. You know, those who have just come to faith in the, the gospel, there's just this newness in their lives that you can see it in their eyes even. Joy just overflowing as they realize that their guilt has been pardoned. Their shame has been covered. There's a new desire in those who come to faith to turn from evil and to live a holy life for God. And they get to do this with brothers and sisters that share the same grace. We are coming to the close of Paul's letter to Rome. Uh, Romans 15, 14 to 33 is in this personal perspective and it shares some of the same themes that Paul began the letter with back in chapter 1 18 to 17 his service in preaching the gospel his longing to see this church his obligation to both Jews and Gentiles and his describing the gospel that brings salvation and obedience to God. Now, through chapter 11, Paul has explained this gospel more fully than any other letter he's written. And from chapter 12 to this point, he's given application on how this gospel affects the church's life and worship together, even though they come from very different backgrounds. Now, as he brings this letter to close, the main point that we're going to see today is live sanctified as the Lord's people, serving one another and joining in gospel ministry. We're going to break that down in three ways. First, living as the Lord's people. Second, serving the Lord's people. And thirdly, joining gospel ministry. So, having said all at this point, Paul now speaks of his confidence in the gospel's power that has changed and equipped this church. And he says in verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And Paul is calling the church to live as the Lord's people. That's our first point, to live as the Lord's people. Now, the gospel is the message from God that leads to salvation. And that message completely turns our lives around and right side up before our Creator. This goodness and knowledge that Paul speaks of, that they are filled with, is something they did not have before they believed. Paul's confidence is, his confidence in their competence is not because of natural ability. It comes from what we saw actually in verse 13, where he talks about the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit. That hope that overflows in the power of 
the Holy Spirit. And thus we get to Paul's reminders in verse 15 in, this, in our text today. These, these points that he speaks of are the gospel points that Paul has written quite boldly on in the previous 14 chapters. Then here in verse 16, Paul reminds them that God gave him the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Now that, that call was given to Paul when he was saved. You can read about that in Acts 9.15 where it says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And Paul's ambition was to proclaim that name. In fact, you look there in, in verse 20, it says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Now, that, that may not be everyone's call here. Okay, I, not everyone is, is called to go where the, the name of Christ has never been heard. Some of us need to go to our family. Some of us need to go across the hall. Everyone in Christ must be ready to share Christ with anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Now Paul claims in verse 19, did you catch that? He says, I, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Fully. Now this letter called Romans is actually Paul's most full explanation of these gospel points. I think back with me. You who have, especially who have been here this whole time, chapters 1 to 3 says we all sin. We all fall short of God's righteous standard of goodness. And that means apart from Christ, we are subject to God's wrath in his final judgment. Chapters 3 to 5 describe God providing this substitute sacrifice in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that we receive the benefits of that by faith. That means believing God and his promise. Then chapters 6 to 8 show that that true faith leads us to obey God, turning over control of our lives to him. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who loved us. And gave himself up for us. And then in chapters 9 to 11 speak of God as the author of salvation. He is the one who chose Israel. And he continues to choose us Gentiles to believe and to receive his salvation. And then in chapters 12 to 15, it reveals that those who do believe in Jesus will show their faith as they no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but are transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
And we love one another sincerely as we do that. Now, if you have not put your faith in Christ, then you should go back and look at all the points uh, of the gospel through this letter and consider each one of them. But, but this gospel that Paul is proclaiming, that he, has, that he claims that he's proclaimed fully, has one aspect that Paul calls first. He says this is of first importance. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5. And there he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. You, you heard the horror of Christ's death as Pastor Joseph read Isaiah 52 and 53. Jesus Death, that death that he took on, takes your sin. And through faith in him, God declares you free of your guilt. He covers over your shame and the judgment that you deserve. He stands before God in your place. It's what many have called the great exchange and you see that in, in 2 Corinthians at the end of chapter 5 where it says that God made him who had no sin to be, a, a, a translation says, a sin offering for us so that in him we might become or have in us the righteousness of God. Now, if you've not trusted Jesus, and that's the first and most important thing to understand about this gospel. And you can trust him today. It means just laying down your pride that, that you have to stand before God on your own. It means asking Jesus to stand before God on your behalf. It means turning over control of your life to Him. So I, I ask you, why not do that today? Do that today. You can talk to any of the members in this church if you are ready to trust Jesus. And I say talk to any member because Paul entrusts to the church to disciple one another in the obedience of faith. That's what we've just been looking at. And, and the result, the result that Paul expected from his gospel proclaiming, our gospel proclaiming, he continues there in verse 16 where he says, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so they did. They did. And you did. Gentiles were becoming the Lord's people. Not only saved from hell, 
They are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That sanctification means they're growing more holy. It means we look more and more like Jesus. So this is, this is not something that's just for the elders or for you know, those believers who are older to instruct one another in. It's all the church that has been given this task. All the church. Every gospel-believing Christian has what it takes to help another Christian grow more like Jesus. You have what it takes. It takes your hope in the gospel. And it, it takes this overflowing hope in the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to every believer. Some of you are doing this. You're doing this in this church. You're, you're reading, for instance, you're reading through the Bible or the New Testament together this year. Some, I know, are gathering on Saturdays to pray with one another. Many of you are encouraging one another in, in the weekly home groups. And some have decided to study a, a, a Christian book a, a, about theology or an aspect of the Christian life together. Look, if, if you're not involved in something like that now, then tell one of the elders, tell one of the members... And let's talk about how we can get you connected and involved in discipleship. Regardless of how long you've been a believer or how much knowledge you think you have, if you've been changed by the gospel of Jesus, you have something to offer to others. Now, Paul calls the sanctified church to instruct one another in the faith. And then he presents himself, you see that, as an example in serving the Gentiles with the gospel. So let's turn to that second point now, serving the Lord's people. Paul makes himself an example, so we're going to look at that. First, Paul, Paul's example in serving the Lord's people is through preaching and teaching. Specifically there in verse 20 that we looked at just a moment ago, his ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Now, the book of Acts tells how the gospel spread in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Chapters 9 to 28 specifically tell of the gospel's advance to the nations, including Paul's travels and his preaching among the Gentiles. But maybe you thought, along with me, that it sounds strange that Paul would say in verse 19 that he had fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I mean, that, that idea that fully proclaimed, that word means to finish, to complete, to fully perform. Like it is done. Like Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Now, certainly there were Gentiles who did not know Christ 
in the geographical footprint that Paul just talked about. Oh, the cities in which no one had ever preached the gospel. So what does Paul mean? How can he claim to have finished the task? Go to Acts chapter 14 with me. Acts chapter 14. Starting in verses 21 to 23. And then we're going to just go down to 26. But he says there... They preached the gospel, and listen to all the things they do here now. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them, in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now skip down to 26. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They had now completed. For Paul, the goal of preaching was not just converts. It was the establishment of a biblical church. His task began with preaching, winning the disciples to Christ. It continued with strengthening and encouraging those disciples to remain true, even through hardship. And that final step was appointing elders, committing them to the Lord and entrusting the spread of the gospel through those new churches to the rest of the places around them. Now we see that contrasted in Titus. So if, if you flip over to Titus, you can see what Paul is, 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 is looking for. Titus 1.5, where he says to uh, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put into order what was left unfinished. Unfinished. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The unfinished task was appointing elders in every church, you see. The task, according to Paul, is complete when a biblical church is established. New churches, then, should have that same DNA with the same goal of planting new churches in the cities and towns around them. Now, 15 years ago or so, I thought that conversion was the goal of gospel proclamation. I give my life to that. But the more I read in the scriptures, the more I saw that what Jesus is actually building. And what is Jesus building? Not just new believers. Jesus is building his church. A biblical church is the goal of gospel proclamation. And a biblical church is also the means for evangelism. I want you to consider with me that Peter and John 
were sent by the church in Jerusalem to Samaria when the gospel had spread to Samaria. And Paul and Barnabas were commissioned, how? By the church in Antioch to go to the ends of the earth. So from the start, you see, the church has been God's strategic plan for evangelism with one overarching mission, to go to all peoples and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded, including forming new churches. Now, maybe this idea of the church as the goal of the gospel and the means of evangelism is new to you. I just want to ask, would you be open to consider how much the Bible speaks of the church this way? Would you be open to investigating that? Or how many times where the Bible says you, and it actually means y'all, you all. It's a plural you. It's not an individual you. Or maybe even specifically what or who Jesus is looking forward to at the marriage supper on that last day. Who is he looking for? The church. Now, Paul's second example, it's his commitment to complete the service that he started. Paul's goal in discipleship is sanctification and maturity in Christ. He, he says this, uh, actually in, in Colossians, he says it very clearly. Colossians 1, 27 and 28, where, where he says, uh, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Discipling takes effort. It's not easy. It often involves long days and late nights. It means pushing through in prayer with people, sometimes not with people. You're praying for them. It means not giving up when things get difficult, and they do. Paul was committed to the completion of discipling. Paul's also committed to the completion of his service for this contribution that he speaks of in verses 26 through 31. He says there in verse 28, So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Paul is not going to move on to his call of preaching until he completes this task. He wants to go to Spain, but he says, I, I have to finish this other task first. Now, first thing is, what is this contribution? 
this this contribution we can read more about it in first and second corinthians but probably in second corinthians 8 is most clear there in chapter 8 verse 2 to 5 in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy he's talking about the macedonian churches their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity they were poor for, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. In fact, even in verse 27, Paul's back in Romans uh, 15 he says they were pleased to do it. They had this attitude in giving that I think we all could grow in, every one of us. And why was, why was Paul delivering this contribution? Why was it so important to Paul, this, this contribution? Remember who gave it. It's the churches in Macedonia, Achaia, and Corinth. He's delivering this contribution because it would confirm the Gentiles' acceptance into this new Christian community that began with the Jews. Paul is all about preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He is, as he says, the, 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 the minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And so he goes to Jerusalem to confirm their acceptance. He continues there in verse 27. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. You see, friends, we're all Gentiles in this room, I'm pretty sure. And we don't deserve the spiritual blessings that God promised to Israel. When, when these Gentile believers heard their Jewish brethren were in need, they gladly shared their material blessings because God had been so gracious to include them in the spiritual blessings. It was a way to, for them to show their love and their unity in this gospel. And you see there, too, in verse 31, Paul, Paul wanted to take this contribution personally to make sure that the gift would be favorably received by the Lord's people there. And, and you know, when we think about, oh, what's he going to say when he takes this gift and sees these Jewish believers there in Jerusalem? Well, he's going to say a lot of the same things he told the Jewish Christians in Rome in this letter. And Paul's commitment to completion is commendable. We all should aspire to that kind of commitment. So I want to encourage you, don't leave your tasks until the job is done, until it's complete, or, at, or maybe until you've passed it on 
into capable hands. And with that, I want to encourage you, especially, especially elders and deacons and other people who are leading ministries, always be looking for your replacement. Who's going to take over for your work when you aren't the deacon of benevolence or the deacon of uh, this stuff, ordinances? Yeah, who's going to do that? You need to be looking for your replacements. Now, once Paul finishes the task in Jerusalem, he plans then to go on and preach Christ where he's not known. He wants to go to Spain. He wants to go through Rome, the most important city of his day, because he wants to be with that church. He hadn't been there before. So here's the third example of Paul in this section. Paul's longing to be with the Lord's people. In verse 20 to 22, Paul says it's ambition, his ambition to preach Christ where it had not been known that actually hindered him from going to Rome. Did you catch that? Verse 22, he says, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because the gospel had already gotten there before him. Somebody else had laid that foundation. That's why he wouldn't go to Rome. But now... Now he found a way to come to them and still fit within his calling as minister to the Gentiles. Verse 23 and 24, he says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. He's longing to enjoy their company and to receive assistance from them to continue on that journey. And he also expects, there you see in verse 29, that he will come in the full measure of the blessings of Christ. He wants to be, he wants to be a blessing to them. Now that was a good plan. That's a really good plan. It fit with his calling. It was full of ministry opportunities and his desire to be a blessing to that church. But God, God had another plan. You can read about that in Acts 21 to 28, how Paul's journey to Jerusalem turned out very differently than he had planned it to. His, his report about the ministry among the Gentiles, it was favorably received. They, they received his gift and, and, and a good report. But a false accusation resulted in his arrest, in his attempted murder, and in his appeal to Caesar for judgment. So he is going to go to Rome, just not the way he planned. And along the way which actually took several more years, Paul spoke to both Jewish and Gentile rulers. Think back to his call in Acts 9.15. To Roman guards and common people. And while he was in prison, he wrote half of what we have 
in the New Testament. You see, God's plan took Paul's gospel preaching way beyond Spain, all the way to the Philippines, to India, all across the Arab world, to Iran, to Taiwan, to America. There are two points of application on this point. One, do you, like Paul, long to be with the Lord's people and to be a blessing? Do you? Does that consume your thoughts, your days? It's this longing to be with the Lord's people that makes the fellowship here at EBC so sweet. We love to be with one another, whether it's dinner and discussion groups or playing games or sports or shopping at Langa. We love being with one another. It's what makes it hard, too, when people leave, like Samuel and Cigaretta, or Robin and Pawina, or even today, like Yaman and Naveen. It's what leads to overwhelming joy when our friends come back to visit, like Elizabeth did a little while ago, or John Sundu, who's, who's been here recently. Do you share Paul's longing? That longing will lead you to get more involved with the church. And it will lead you, when you move from here, like Yamana Navinar, to find another church like this, as our member covenant tells us to do. Now, do you seek then also to be the full measure of blessing to others like Paul? There are many ways that you can do that, that you can be that. For instance, text your friend, your, a Bible verse or a prayer that you're praying for them. Or, or if you're going from here, let's say on holiday or, or on a trip, prepare a couple stories to share with your family or your friends how God is working in your life through the church. And maybe even think of a few scriptures to go along with those stories. Bring a measure of Christ's blessings wherever you go. And you will be a blessing. The second thing I want you to think about here is make plans, but give your plans to God. Make plans, but give your plans to God. I, what I mean is you don't know the future, but you can trust the God who does. Proverbs Proverbs uh, 16 has a lot to talk about plans. But look at verse 3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. And then verse 9 of the same chapter says, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It's the... The steps God takes us in that are better than our plans anyway. And that confirms by Romans 8, 28, 
which said, In all things God works for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Remember, Paul does get to Rome, but not the way he planned. But we can look at his plans in this, in this chapter and learn something. So let's, let's look at that and see how, what we can apply from the way Paul plans his journey. Uh, in our third point, joining in gospel ministry. We're looking at verse 30 first, where Paul makes his plea to the church in Rome uh, first to join him in prayer. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Join in with gospel ministry. Ministry is hard. Paul calls it my struggle. And those who have given themselves to ministry often feel the weight of it. And Paul's request, we see here, is fourfold. Four things in in verses 31 to 32. First, he asks to be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. And then he asks that the contribution be favorably received by the Lord's people there. And then in verse 32, he asked for prayer that I may come to you with joy. And finally, he says that in their company, he may be refreshed. That's Paul's prayer, prayer request. So join in gospel ministry through prayer. That's one way you can join in gospel ministry, by praying. Find out people who are serving the gospel, and ask them how you can pray for them. And that that fourth request that Paul makes there is actually a second way to join in gospel ministry. What is that? Refresh those who are in ministry. Refresh them. Those who are in ministry are always switched on. They, they, They always have to be ready to minister. Ministry doesn't stop. Always ready to give an answer, even when you're dealing with your own questions. Always hearing others' burdens, even while you're carrying your own. Always praying for those who are weeping or those who are rejoicing, even if the minister is experiencing the opposite. Always providing counsel or assistance, even out of the minister's own lack. Always listening with compassion or rebuking with sternness and having to know which is appropriate even if you're tired and worn down. You see, the gospel minister is giving and giving. The gospel minister gives as they they receive from the Lord And often, the Lord gives to the minister through the Lord's people. There are a number of ways, practically, that you can refresh those in ministry. One way is that if you're under a minister's authority, then make their work a joy. 
and not a burden. The writer of Hebrews says to have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Because when people don't have confidence, when they don't submit, it's a burden. In other words, church, you are God's refreshment to the elders of this church. Other ways you can refresh those in ministry is to offer hospitality or strengthen them with words of encouragement or offer to help in ways that allows that minister time for other things. You know, leaders are people too. (laughs) And sometimes they just need a break and you can refresh them. By doing that. You know, a famous British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, used to be a guest at a, honestly, a castle in Scotland every summer. And he also spent a month or more on the coast of France to get a break from the London winters. And one biographer wrote of that hospitality that he received. Spurgeon's visits greatly helped and probably prolonged his life. You can refresh others. The work of ministry is spiritually, emotionally, and physically draining. So Lord's people, refresh gospel ministers so that they can continue in gospel ministry. Now, a third way to join in gospel ministry is assisting those in the ministry. Verse 24, uh, Paul says uh, he plans to go to Spain, including passing through Rome, uh, because he's hoping to have you assist me on my journey there. Paul would have been thinking here both materially and financially. Uh, as, he's, as he's thinking about their assistance. And many in, in, involved in ministry full-time, they don't receive their salary from the people that they minister to. Now, you may think, well, wait a minute. Paul worked in some places in making tents. Yes, he did, in Corinth and in Thessalonica. But in other places like Ephesus and Philippi and Rome, He relied on the financial support of the Lord's people. What I'm getting at here, too, is the church has a responsibility, if they can, to pay their pastors through the offerings that are given. 1 Timothy. uh, If you go to 1 Timothy, it says, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now, the New Testament does not require a certain amount in an offering. There's no 10% spiritual tax on the Lord's people today. There, there was in the Old Testament. 
But that, that should not encourage you to give less than 10%, <laughs> actually. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just that you're not sinning if you don't. And you can give more. The New Testament calls us to be generous and cheerful in giving like the widow who gave everything she had to live on. I think our giving ought to be like the Macedonian church who gave to the Lord's people in Jerusalem cheerfully and generously and abundantly. I want to encourage you to give both in the regular offerings that support the expenses of the church and in the benevolence offerings that help those who are in need. And you might also think about giving extra to missions, to those who proclaim the gospel in places where it's not being preached. Uh, for instance, our brother Rafaka is preaching the gospel in an area of Faisalabad that has no gospel witness. The Christian churches there in Pakistan, Pakistan long ago gave into unbiblical patterns and lost the gospel. And the persecution from the Muslim majority is high. But like Paul, Rafaka is laying a biblical foundation of Christ, encouraging and strengthening the disciples that he's found. And he hopes one day to raise up elders for the church. Now John is there also helping and he's taken this gospel to Jeranwala of a village about 30 minutes away. And so the gospel is beginning to spread there. When I was there in November, I got to see those places. And we actually discovered another gospel preaching church just across town in Faisalabad. Praise the Lord for an opportunity to partner in the gospel in a very unreached city. Now, Paul's life, Paul's life is an example. He's showing us what a life transformed by the gospel looks like. In church, it is a call to live as sanctified people. It's a call to serve one another. It's a call to join in gospel ministry with those who give their lives to proclaim it fully, including the establishment of biblical churches. So EBC, let's continue moving in that direction together. It's God's path, and he will direct our steps. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that here in this country we can gather as the Lord's people. We know that our friends nearby can't. Lord, we thank you for the gospel foundation that has been laid here in EBC so many years ago and that we are building upon it. May we build with precious things like gold and silver, precious stones and not wood, hay, stubble, things that would be burned up. Lord, help us to live as sanctified people, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, serving one another in sincere love 
and joining in good gospel ministry together that we might see your church grow and be a display of your glory to the world. In Christ's name, amen.